welcome to the Green Majority here on CIUT 89.5 FM, perhaps listening on one of our one, or, one of our wonderful radio syndicates, or perhaps on our podcast, uh, which can be found at greenmajority.ca, along with some of the information about where we found the information we're going to give you today. Mm, uh, that's and then, important. Exactly. And then some links to some other fun things and a whole set of, you know, we haven't promoted this in a while, but a whole bunch of climate cartoons that we made about a year and a half ago back that are still to this day quite relevant. <laughs> they will be relevant really until we do something about climate change. You're so still promoting those climate cartoons. Just, just bringing it back. Mm. You know, it's a throwback. Well, if we get tens of thousands of dollars, we can make an entire series. All right. Um, so th- today we're doing a, a couple of different things that are a bit of a, a, bit of a throwback. Uh, we have Christina Henke. Uh, who uh, you may, for long-time listeners, may have remembered uh, from from many d- different uh, different. She comes in and, and has these great interviews, and so one will be coming up quite soon. Uh, but we're also going to be talking about some good news for a change. Uh, there'll be some some positive news, mm-hmm. which is I feel mm-hmm. like a, a rarity. Some good climate news. Yeah, positive climate news. Yeah, not a no. I won't say overwhelmingly positive. Uh, just be you know to temper expectations. Um, but. Uh, but that is certainly what's coming up, and then, mm-hmm. and then some other, some some less positive climate news, I mm-hmm. guess. Uh, so a, com- a couple of different things, um, but that's coming up. It, those would be the positive news, I believe, is in the second uh, second part. Is that correct, Dave? That's right. We're yeah. going to do positive news in the second part, and then the third section is going to be some more devastation. All right. Uh, I realized that as I jumped in, I did not introduce myself. This is uh, Stephen Hostetter. I'm co. I'm hosting for the day here on Green Majority. Uh, Saren, uh, who is uh, your usual host, is off sick. Please get better soon. In in studio here with, uh, with of course, Dave Hostetter uh, and <laughs> and Christina, um, and so. Uh, quick intro about about the about the uh, the phone call we're about to uh, we're about to about to mm-hmm. if to we can on. get the man on the line yes exactly um, and which, which will be we will be talking to uh, Ron Burton who is the who has been the mayor uh, of Oakville since t- two thousand six yeah Rob 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 Burton, Rob Burton. Uh, oh yes there it is I I just totally missed that change um, and and before that he was a well known well known for founding YTV uh, he's a businessman and journalist. Uh, who throughout his political career has been dedicated to controlling development and keeping the environment green. Uh, in his three terms as mayor, some of his initiatives have included the health care or health protection air quality by law uh, and the town energy management plan and also the Oakville climate change adaption plan. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we'll be going to that shortly. But, uh, but as, we, as, as, we, as, as, we, as we head that direction, let's, let's, let's talk a little bit about... The about the positive news we're kind of come up to um, because there's been a whole host of I was at, I had a conversation recently about mm. um, about this the, the movement of of youth that mm. we're seeing right now uh, all across the world really mm-hmm. uh, suing governments mm-hmm. um, you know it's we had a, a couple months ago we had a story in California uh, that was covering that um, and then. And then we had um, it's it's going across the that one was sort of moving forward in California while I was trying to figure out whether or not to make it to the Supreme Court. Mm-hmm. Uh, other places have been more successful. Um, yeah. Certainly, the Scandinavian countries you've seen a seen a significant more move there. Uh, and and so we're going to be talking about a Dutch court ruling uh, at, at at the point. Um, but do we have Rob on the line? We do not have Rob on the line. All right, we we, let's let's just move directly then into this court ruling, Dave. Why don't you tell us about the court ruling? Yes. So on the eighth uh, of October. Uh, a day after the IPCC released its uh, disturbing and sobering report concluding that the future of organized life depends 
on the next dozen years, a Dutch appeals court ordered the Netherlands to act more aggressively on its emissions cuts in an historic ruling that is demanding the country reduce its greenhouse gas emissions at least uh, by at least 25 percent by 2020 against 1990 levels, <clears throat> which is a good 8 percent higher than the liberal government had previously planned. People whooped and cheered, Stefan. People whooped and cheered in the courtroom after the ruling was made. The decision is expected to strengthen many other similar cases around the globe. The Dutch Urgenda Foundation, I don't know if I'm pronouncing that correctly, uh, that launched the group that launched the case on behalf of the 886 plaintiffs and won the original ruling in 2015, which has now been upheld, is a nationwide organization aiming for a, quote, fast transition towards a sustainable society, uh, focusing on a, quote, circular economy using only renewable energy. The Associated Press reports that the director of the Urhenda Urhenda campaign, Marjan Menezma, said of the ruling, quote, we won on every single point, and it was a very good explanation of the urgency of what is necessary, and that states in industrial countries should do between a 25 to 40 percent CO2 reduction. She said the court, quote, clearly said that climate change is a very urgent problem with enormous risks, so the state should do at least the minimum. Menezma told The Guardian, quote, The special report of the IPCC, uh, IPCC emphasizes that we need to reduce emissions with much greater urgency. The Dutch government knows that as a low-lying country, we are on the front line of climate change. Our own government agencies recently concluded that in the worst-case scenario, sea levels might rise by 2.5 to 3 meters by the end of the century. The Court of Appeals decision puts all governments on notice. They must act now or they will be held to account. Lawyers for the Dutch government tried to argue, like Ontario's own Doug Ford, that the use of courts was anti-democratic, but the judges rejected this line of thinking, citing the European Convention of Human Rights, which enshrines the state's duty to protect its own citizens. Arthur Neslin, writing for The Guardian, states, quote, The Dutch government must now decide whether to appeal to the Netherlands Supreme Court or explain how it will nearly double the entire amount of greenhouse gas emissions cuts it has made since 1990 within one year, and that, quote, one of two newly opened coal plants will have to be shut down. The Dutch government has agreed that carrying out the verdict is feasible and plans to release an update in the spring. They had previously pledged to reduce emissions 49% from 1990 levels by 2030, but have thus far only made a drop of 13%. The court stated, quote, considering the great dangers that are likely to occur, more ambitious measures have to be taken in the short term to reduce greenhouse gas emissions in order to protect the life and family and family life of citizens in the Netherlands. According to EcoWatch, the first ruling in 2015 marked, quote, the first time a court found that governments had a legal obligation to protect their citizens, uh, to their citizens to protect them from climate change. Nature.com quotes J- James Thornton, chief executive of, Cli- of Client Earth, as stating, quote, climate litigation has become a powerful tool in holding decision makers accountable for climate inaction. This is the climate case that started it all, inspiring similar lawsuits worldwide. Indeed, as Stefan brief- briefly mentioned before, the landmark climate liability case Juliana versus the United States that was brought by Our Children's Trust who argue that the government's failure to act on climate change is a violation of their constitutional rights, is now set to proceed as Trump's final attempt to block it has failed. 
EcoWatch quotes director and chief legal counsel of Our Children's Trust, Julia Olson, as stating, quote, to suggest that our government suffers harm greater than its citizens by having to participate in a trial when its youngest citizens bring legitimate climate change of constitutional harm before our Article Three courts flies in the face of democratic principles. We are going to trial on October 29th. All right. So we, we've won a court case. <laughs> um, well, they've won a case in order to go to trial. Right. Well, there the, will be a trial. Well, exactly. Well, I mean, the, the Dutch have won the court case. Mm. The this uh, the our children are moving. Oh, that's forward, true. The Dutch course. have won. Yes. The Dutch have won. Um, and I think it's interesting to sort of watch this play out because the the way society responds to these kinds of existential threats sort of tell you the limits of where uh, the of limits of power that exist within these different jurisdictional existences, right? Because like, what's interesting here is you have the these court cases that are moving forward, and they're and they're telling the government to do something. Mm. And and if they don't, they must they must what? You know, like, at what point does if the Dutch government turns around and says, we're just not going to do this? Do the does the court start putting the heads of these of these of these places in jail? Um, you know, it, it really, it really very mm-hmm. quickly escalates mm-hmm. to a to a to a constitutional crisis of some nature, you know, uh, uh, or or the version of constitutional crisis, depending on you know, not all countries have a constitution in that exact form, but you know, it really does fundamentally demand the question of of who and how these power uh, these power places exist within these different countries. Mm-hmm. You know, um, if the Supreme Court in the United States has proven to be relatively powerful, um, but the Supreme Court in in or the courts in in Ontario have proven actually quite weak. You know, if if the with the fact that in Ontario you have this not notwithstanding clause, Doug Ford does not have to worry about this. There there is almost you know if there is almost as many lawsuits as you could you could put in place. But as long as you change the laws the court is upholding, unless the federal government sort of steps in, uh, you you do have this question. And I think if I were the people who were in charge, which I uh, I would I would ask, I would have to ask myself. You mean in charge of the Dutch government? Or, or any government, really, mm-hmm. in this context, um, I would ask myself, what am I doing if I, if I, if I keep not listening to these lawsuits? You know, mm-hmm. what am I, how am I undermining the legitimacy of, my, of, the, of the system as a whole, which is currently holding, giving, me, giving me power? You know, the, 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 there was a, that quote, one of the more powerful quotes I've heard in quite some time, is that, is that protest and, and, and that riot, is, uh, riot specifically, is, is the last vestige of the unheard. And, and if you've gone through each, every other process, then where do you end up, right? Uh, and, then, and then to try to hold the people that you are, you are, you are singling out as, um, you know, singling out as, as provocateur, provo- provocateurs uh, to, to the courts while you yourself are ignoring the courts is a, is a truly concerning scenario to be, to be escalating Where towards. the elected official decides to ignore the precedent of previous laws. Well, well, or that, or that you're trying to use. For, I'm specifically sort of looking here at like, you know, as if as you consistently ignore the court order to to do something about climate change, and then when people start protesting climate change, you still want to use the laws of that same court to to enforce them. Mm-hmm. You know, you are you're simultaneously saying courts don't matter to me, and courts do matter to you. And the more transparent that becomes, the weaker society as a whole becomes. You know, and I, and I don't think this can be. I think as we get closer and closer to this sort of twelve-year mark, you know, how how are the governments going to be explaining to the newly the newly eighteen, the newly the, or even even younger than that, the, the, the set of people who will be told in school that basically 
we could have stopped this, but we didn't. Good luck. Um, and, 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 and then also that you tried, and then they'd be like, well, we can sue them. And then someone would be like, we tried that. They didn't listen. Uh, and then you can say, well, we can get elected. And then we say, we tried that, and it didn't work. Um, at some point, you, you are actively undermining the, the fabric of society uh, with this failure to act. Whereby there is no uh, proper democratic avenue, well, and the protesters simply must get in the way and risk well, their bodies. Well, that's ex- exactly, and then and then and then to and then and then to have that have that final action, that final the final the final step that you, you don't actually have another option to do anything to get heard, but to go onto the streets, mm-hmm. and then to crack down on them with the rule of law that you yourself are ignoring. Mm. You know that is that is a crisis that that I think not enough people have have begun to to think about, uh, especially as we consistently ignore the, the, these these youth uh, lawsuits mm-hmm. that are coming up. Well, this being a Dutch ruling, our uh, guest in the uh, studio, Christina Henke, is Dutch. I don't know <laughs> if you have any particular um, Netherlands thoughts on this. Hi. Um, yeah, I actually didn't know about this ruling, mm-hmm. so um, I'm really keen, and I think. Um, What's noteworthy here is that I think currently we have a conservative government in the Netherlands. So that, of course, you know, explains a lot. Yes. Um, they tend to be fiscally conservative, so they look for expenses, cutting expenses, you know, in the short term, of course. Mm-hmm. Um, the Netherlands is a very small country, and um, it doesn't have very much green space left. Um, whatever is there is very much valued by people. Ordinary people love going for walks in um, parks, in little forests along the beach, the North Sea coast, um, the dunes. So people really value it. Ordinary people, their lifestyles are um, really respectful of nature. Um, they bike a lot. They have bike paths everywhere. Um so I think um, it's not in the people's interest if the government tries to block this. Um, so yes, the more attention is given to this matter, I think the more people will speak up and put pressure on the government. That's also how it works often, right? And then you have election cycles and you know you can change governments. Um, so yeah, this is this is an important issue. Yeah, and it's it's interesting you mentioned it's a conservative government because, of course, you know those of us who are not tapped into Dutch politics, which I'm going to guess <laughs> is a large percentage of our listeners, um, probably still understand and think of uh, of the Dutch as as climate leaders. You know, there's a whole bunch of different things that 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 I don't know if it's been this government or previous governments that have put in uh, to sort of move uh, to move move the Netherlands t- uh, forward and and really be in some ways a bastion of of of, of sanity within this within this world. You know, a lot of times I feel. I find myself being like, look, this is what you know, this is what the Netherlands has managed to pull off in the its amount of time. And so it's interesting sort of to remember that still there is still internal politics. There are still these conservative governments that even in a relatively progressive uh, climate space, uh, they're still you're still fighting. You know, the fight continues, I guess, in, in that way as well. Yeah. Yeah. And there are other issues, of course, at play as well. Um, as you know, there are a lot of um, people come displaced people coming from elsewhere, the country is very small. Um, so um, yeah, there, there are other pressures and people right. get distracted by, you know, thinking about climate change and, you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. The, the, it's interesting. It's 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 been a sort of a consistent fight, I think, within within all all areas uh, of the world to try to keep climate change as a salient topic. Um, 
And, and so, and, and that is like a, that's been a consistent sort of uh, endeavor, I guess I'll say. Um, but what I will do actually is we're going to, we're going to, we're going to sort of finish off this section, I think, uh, and then go to break. And then when we come back, we'll come back with Rob Burton. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, uh, but before we do, uh, any sort of, any last thoughts, Dave, on this, on, on maybe this trial or, or what, what are we talking about in the third section? Well, <clears throat> To, sorry to maintain on this topic. Yeah. They um, do mention they cited in specifically the courts uh, Europe, the European Convention of Human Rights, which enshrines the state's duty to protect its own citizens. And uh, well, I think what we're looking at in the um, United States case, Juliana versus United States, what they're arguing is that um, the, f- the government's failure to act on climate change is a violation of their constitutional rights. Right. So it's a very similar argument where you have the citizens standing up and saying, "No, the government." Has an actual duty to protect us because the government is us. Yeah, and I and I do think there's a there's a sort of if you're going to see this in Canada, I think you probably end up seeing this going towards the conversation about what good government means uh, within the federal within the federal mandate uh, of peace, order, and good government. I think that's sort of where one of the avenues, perhaps, if you're going to get an actual sort of you know youth case against the government to get some action. Um, but let's, uh, let's, if our, if, if Megan, our tech is, uh, is, is just, is hurriedly getting ready to put on our, our first music break. Uh, and then we will go, we will come back, uh, with Rob Burton, the mayor of Oakville. Uh, so Megan, what are we going to listen to right now? And welcome back to the Green Majority here on CIUT eighty nine point F and point five FM, or one of our one or one of our wonderful radio syndicates across the country, uh, or perhaps on our podcast. Uh, so you could be listening to this anywhere and theoretically very far in the future. Uh, so if you are welcome, uh, welcome to welcome to this to this episode. Um, and and if you if you if you are from both far in the future, and maybe you pause this episode and you come back to it, uh, we are in studio uh, with uh, my name is Stephen Hostetter. I'm in studio with with Dave Hostetter and Christina Henke, uh, and we are about to listen to hear hear from an interview from Rob Burton. Rob, are you on the line? Hello. Good morning. Good morning. Thanks so much for joining us. Thanks for having me. Yeah. Uh, so, quick a quick bio uh, reminder for everyone. Uh, and Rob, please let me know if I get any of these things incorrect. Uh, but it's my understanding that you've been the mayor of Oakville of Oakville from 2006. Uh, and you founded YTV, which is a which is a quite a quite a feat for for those of us who were born at right at the time when YTV sort of dominated the mm-hmm. yeah that, that was well, that's the, us right there that's exactly us. that's right in our wheelhouse. Mm-hmm. Um, and he's a, you're a businessman and a journalist, and throughout your political career, you've dedicated uh, been dedicated to controlling development and keeping the environment green. Uh, in the in his three years three terms as mayor, sorry, uh, some of your co- uh, initiatives have been including health. Protection Air Quality Bylaw, the Town Energy Management Plan, and the Oakville Climate Change Adaption Plan. Uh, Here's Christina. uh, Take it away. Good morning, Rob Burton. How are you? I'm great, Christina. Nice to hear your voice. So what was the problem this morning? Why were you delayed? Were you uh, saving some trees? Uh, (laughs) Well, when you're in an election campaign and you're near the end, there is an unbelievable flurry of sleeve-tugging that goes on. And uh, so, anyway, I apologize if I uh, disrupted your schedule in any way. No, not at all, not at all. It's very good of you to come on the show, and I'm so excited to be talking to you. You know, I have to tell you honestly, I didn't think it would be possible for someone to be environmentally minded and also be a leader in some government function. And here you are. You're called the greenest mayor of Canada. What? uh, How? How do you explain that? Is that true? 
Well, I I was called that by the executive director of the uh, Environmental Defense Canada, and uh, it's very flattering, uh, of course. But it's also uh, it was clever of them because it it adds an extra uh, uh, push to my motivation to uh, to make Oakville as environmentally sustainable and green as possible. Because once you've been called the greenest mayor in Canada, all of a sudden you you know you, you start worrying. Well, I don't want to lose that uh, that appellation. So uh, it actually makes you work harder. It starts out you first hear it, you think, oh, that's flattering, and then you realize, oh my God, it's like a, a spur in your back. Mm-hmm. So it could be a bad thing. Um, depending on what what people you deal with, it could be a bad thing to be called the greenest mayor. If you're with a bunch of young people, bunch of tree huggers, as they would say, um, you know that's that's all great. But if you're with you know people in suits, um, people who work in downtown Toronto in the financial district, maybe Bay Street, um, that might be a different story. I haven't actually found that. Um Oakville is a very green town. Uh, we, we're one of the handful of uh, municipalities in Canada that are qualified for ISO 37120 um, through the World Council on City Data. And uh, that data set says that we're the second greenest uh, municipality in the world. And, um, uh, and people, no matter where they work or what they do for a business, they like to come home to you know, the, the green island in the middle of the uh, concrete sea, I guess you could say, uh, or maybe it's an asphalt sea, whatever it is. But the the uh, the people of Oakville enjoy uh, very much how clean and green their, uh, their town is. I have often joked, uh, Oakville's famous for, or famous or infamous, depending on your point of view, for a long time ago, battling all the way to the Supreme Court of Canada to ban billboards. And uh, so I used to joke that you can tell when you're back in Oakville because the billboards run out and the trees come back. Mm-hmm. Interesting. So let me ask you, how worried are you personally about the environment? You have a family, um, you've raised kids. Um, I'm sure you've you know, all sat around the dinner table and, and talked about what's going on. How worried are you? Um. Well, it's top of mind for me, and it, but you know what? It's, it's been top of mind for me since university. When I was in university, I organized um, uh, what we styled the first international student conference on the environment. And um, uh, we, uh, I, it, it's, I've never seen it in years. The, the symbol's gone, but we had the little, we created the little... Uh, closed E symbol for the ecology, mm-hmm. but, uh, you know, ecology is sort of a, a word that's gone out of the discussion, uh, now all environment. Uh, and, you know, 1,500 students from around the world came together for that, and that was in 1970. Wow, was that at Columbia? No, that was, uh, that was uh, before I went to uh, Columbia. Um, when, when I was at Columbia, I did my master's on... Uh, um, uh, the impacts of I correlated the impacts of air pollution by uh, neighborhood districts in New York City. Mm-hmm. The uh, the the city had collected uh, 
uh, illness data and death data by by its 30 districts. And the, the then relatively brand new Environmental Protection Agency had collected um, uh, pollution measurements around the, uh, the city. And uh, using regression analysis, I showed that uh, the poor paid more in terms of the, uh, the penalties on health and, and life mm-hmm. uh, from pollution. And uh, uh, computers were just happening. Uh, Columbia had just gotten a computer. It was the size of a, of a giant freezer, had its own building in the middle of campus, sort of sunk halfway into the ground. Mm-hmm. And uh, and to and to use it, you had to have punched paper cards, which nowadays I don't think anybody's ever seen or heard of. And you know, if you dropped them and got them out of order, you had you were really in a mess. You had to start over. Um, and uh, and it was it was quite an experience. And my my professor actually rejected my thesis um, because. Uh, this was at the Graduate School of Journalism at Columbia University, mm-hmm. and my my thesis advisor said journalists don't use computers, so you know you can't we can't accept this. Hmm. And uh, I then was allowed to shop it to the rest of the faculty, and uh, the uh, the only faculty member who would accept it was uh, Professor Luther Jackson, who was our only black professor at the time. And uh, uh, he uh, uh, he actually sent it to uh, a UN conference on the environment the next year as a as a contribution to that discussion in Stockholm. Mm-hmm. So I, I had a start in the environment, I guess you could say, that just never left me. Mm-hmm. And uh, I mean, I think I might have had a really personal. Uh, awareness of the danger of bad air, just from being, as a, as a child, I had really, really bad asthma, the kind where you think you're going to die. Mm. And um, and when I was 16, it left me. I, I don't know why. I've never had it since. But, but you know, when I was a, a, a young child, it was incredibly severe. And there's nothing like that feeling of drowning uh, that, that really gets your attention about how important air is. Mm-hmm. We have in Oakville, the only health protection air quality bylaw in the country, um, particulate matter two point, uh, smaller than 2.5 microns, the deadliest uh, pollution that there is. Uh, no level of government regulates the amount you can put out. They only publish guidelines. And, and we have a, a bylaw that requires businesses that emit it to reduce it annually and to, and to establish a plan with us to get to zero. And we've never lost a business. Uh, first off, we only had uh, 14 or 15 emitters out of our three or 4,000 businesses. Uh, we didn't lose any business. In fact, our business has grown. Uh, what happens, we, we actually broke records for job creation uh, because businesses want to come where their employees would like to live. And big surprise, everybody would like to have clean air. You know, this almost sounds too good to be true. How did you do it? I mean... You're a politician, so obviously you know how to massage things so that things work out, right? I mean, there must have been some resistance to it because you were responsible for this bylaw. Well, the the um, you know it's a funny thing, but um, uh, I don't really think I'm that 
much of a politician. I, I actually think I'm a pretty big amateur. I got elected mayor when I was 60, and I had never had anything to do with politics. I, I didn't like politics. I didn't think I could stand politics. Mm-hmm. Um, I was like a lot of people looking at politics and thinking, it's so unpleasant, and people say the most horrible things about each other, and who really wants to get in that mud bath? So um, I was kind of dragged, kicking and screaming almost, and I was kind of recruited by people to run for mayor. Mm. And um, and it was at the end of a seven-year period in our town where we were fighting it's just that it was an amazing experience from 2000 to 2006 when we were fighting to save green space in North Oakville. And uh, uh, we finally, uh, you know, citizen groups, uh, we all got together and we said, gee, we're going to have to run people for council. They're just not listening to us. And the first election, we elected one. And the next election, we elected three more. And there's a council of 13. And it wasn't until the third election that we had seven. And seven is the magic number. On a council of 13, it takes seven to stop or start anything. Mm-hmm. And um, uh, so in in uh, 2010 or, or thereabouts, I'm not, uh, you know, I'm not sure what, year, what exact year it was, 2009, 2010, we adopted the Health Protection Air Quality Bylaw unanimously. Mm-hmm. That sounds wonderful. So I'm going to ask you, what advice would you have for other mayors um, in the rest of Canada? Well, I, my dad taught me a certain code of the road, so to speak. And the, the code of the road my dad put out, his whole generation, I think, put out was, you don't give advice to people who don't ask for it. It's like, it's sort of an implied insult to go to somebody and say, you need my advice, here it is. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and I shrink from that. I, I, uh, I answer people's questions when they call me, um, and uh, I provide our research and, and our, uh, uh, you know, the text of our bylaw. Mm-hmm. Uh, but um, I, I, I don't go telling other people what to do. It's, um, I'm just not able to do that. Could you explain why Oakville seems to be so unique in this regard? Is it a blip, or is this something that might become a trend? What What do you think, in terms of um, Oakville being so green? Uh, I don't know. Um, when I moved to Oakville 25 years ago, my wife and I, uh, we were living in North Toronto, and we decided that uh, we didn't like we, you know, as we projected the, out into the future, we were thinking, uh, Peter, I think it was Peter Ustinov said, uh, when we were living in Toronto, that uh, Toronto was New York run by the Swiss. And, and 25 years ago, it stopped feeling like that was what the future of Toronto was. And so we, we went to every community in the GTA and wound up choosing Oakville. And it was already greener than the, you know, just in terms of, there were no, you know, there were more trees, there was uh, no billboards, there was uh, a friendly, you know what captures it about Oakville? Hmm. Harry Barrett, who was the mayor in the uh, 70s and 80s for six terms, 
he says, Oakville is a city that calls itself a town and feels like a village. Mm -hmm. And that really is what captured our hearts 25 years ago when Wendy and I were we're looking to reestablish ourselves in a more family-friendly kind of environment. So it's like a community. Yep. Yeah, people talk to each other. Yeah, it's small enough. So what about being sandwiched between the two big cities of Toronto and Hamilton? Do you ever feel helpless? And how much power do mayors have to make changes beyond the city boundaries? No, no, I never feel helpless. Helpless is no way to live a life. Uh, I have always taken the view that each one of us can make our little corner better, uh, our little spot on the planet, and and the more of us that do that, the more spots that get made better, pretty soon you start to see a difference across the planet. And I've always thought that uh, improvement starts at home. Uh, It starts with each of us. So I've never been one to believe that you solve the world's problems by preaching to the distance, you solve the world's problems by working in the immediate spot that you're in. Mm-hmm. So very practically speaking now, how do you manage the balance between development and livability? Because that must oh. come up. Well, under the province's laws since 1997, municipalities are not allowed to collect the full cost of growth from growth. So... The result is that 25% of the cost of growth must be borne by the existing taxpayers. And so it's obvious to me that the way to increase livability and, and frankly, affordability of the folks that already live here Mm -hmm. is to stop paying for, to stop subsidizing development. And so I have, by careful regulation, and it's not easy to do, um, I have cut in half the rate of growth in Oakville. We used to be over 4% a year, and now we're under 2% a year. And the result of doing that has had this wonderful benefit of keeping tax increases for the last 10 years at or below inflation and trending downward, whereas before me, uh, tax increases were above inflation, they were spiky, and they were trending upward. Mm-hmm. And so uh, growth is a bad deal for the existing community, and, uh, and it's been a bad deal ever since 1990, the end of 1997 when, when the, the legislature decided that existing taxpayers should uh, uh, pay for some of the costs of growth. And the other benefit, such as it is, or the difficulty with growth and livability is the province doesn't keep up with the growth it mandates. So, for example, uh, all over the GTA where growth is, we're short of schools. All over the GTA where growth is, we have unbelievable numbers of kids in portables. Mm-hmm. Um, another side effect of growth that's not being managed right is you have hallway medicine because you can't build the hospitals fast enough. Mm-hmm. So, uh, you know... We've built, we've created a society that's very attractive to everyone in the world, and everyone wants to come and live here. And, and you know, it's, it's great that, that we're so livable generally, you know, not just Oakville, but, 
but the whole GTA, it's like an amazing magnet for, uh, for people around the world because it's so horrible in so many parts of the world. And uh, I just wish that uh, the two levels of government that our Constitution creates, and that's not the municipal level, that's the federal level and the provincial uh, uh, level, I wish they would step up to their responsibility to manage growth better. And by that, I don't mean restrict it. I mean support it. You know, they're, they're happy to have it, and they need to recognize that uh, it's their job to come up with the schools and the hospitals and the roads and the transit. And there's way more talk and way less action than there needs to be by them about their, you know, the things that the responsibilities that they are shirking. Mm-hmm. I want to ask you about a local initiative because I have a feeling that the rest of the world, the rest of Canada, the rest of the GTA can learn from that. And uh, what I want to ask you about is the Oakville Climate Change Adaptation Plan. Can you tell us something about that? Well, we, as part of the what I call the Seven Years War from 2000 to 2006, and, and which was started out as a battle to save the green space north of uh, Highway 5 as it became urbanized, uh, and in the end, we did save uh, 2,300 acres, which I call the very first uh, municipal green belt. I, I think it actually sort of predates the provincial green belt. Hmm. Um, we became aware that we had a, a sensitized, aware, educated population, and that perhaps ahead of their time, our residents uh, knew that we needed climate change um uh, addressed, and we needed energy management addressed, which is a crucial piece of that. And we hired the necessary uh, expert staff and engaged the necessary uh, um, experts at universities uh, and uh, came up with our climate change action plan and also our, our, our uh, town energy management plan. And I was very gratified when the associations of of municipalities at the provincial and the federal level recognize those plans. And uh, I'm, a, I'm a lifelong student. Uh, one of the associations uh, announced after we published our energy management plan, to speak of that one for a second, they announced a seminar where they were going to uh, teach uh, mayors and councilors how to have a better energy management plan. So I went to it. And uh, I got in, I, I walked into the room, maybe five, I slipped into the back of the room, maybe five minutes late. Hope you'll, for your, uh, your listeners who might be young and or students will, will recognize that and mm-hmm. not think badly of me for it. And as I slipped into my seat, I heard the person giving the seminar say, and you have a copy of Oakville's plan, which is the best, and, and this is what we all need to do. And I... I I cringed because I thought, that is not how you sell a plan to other cities, because as soon as you say it's, you know, that city's plan, uh, most people get their defensive hackles up and like, you know, oh, I don't want to copy somebody, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So, uh, but, uh, but it was, uh, you know, undeniably there was a certain amount of pride that registered at the same time as I was cringing about the possible... Uh, unmotivating power of that observation. Mm-hmm. And then uh, the climate change plan enjoyed the same uh, kind of reception. Um, and and people are 
responding in cities across the country. And um, the Federation of Canadian Municipalities has, um, has been extraordinary in their leadership in this area. And um, uh, uh, the, uh, at their, their annual conference, they give awards, and they, 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 they understand how important it is to recognize efforts mm-hmm. and encourage others with uh, that kind of uh, uh, mm. encouragement, and they, uh, uh, and you know, and then they they, they cross fertilize everybody by publishing their stuff. Mm. I'm a I'm an optimist. Uh, I'm not sure an opti- I'm not sure a pessimist goes to work on problems, uh, but there are a lot of optimists on this planet, and there are a lot of people on this planet working to make it better. I. Am privileged. I've been privileged for 12 years to give a commencement speech at our largest high school, and I always say to the kids, my generation was unhappy with the world that our parents had given us, and we think that we've worked pretty hard on trying to fix it as much as we can, and we know that we've left work for you, mm-hmm. and instead of resenting us, we would I mean, do what you want. Resent us if you want for not having, you know, finished the job or anything. But it's a really big planet, and uh, for better or for worse, we've left you some work too. And it's 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 um it's a satisfying kind of work, not the kind of work that you get money for. It's the kind of work you do uh, because you you get a satisfaction from making your piece of the world better for you and your family. Well, you say it's satisfying, but I can imagine that it's also terribly frustrating because, I mean, you're mayor of Oakville, so it's it's a relatively smallish, mid-sized um, city. Um, but there is so much more to be done. Um, have you thought about maybe running for higher office beyond Oakville? Never. I would never do it. Um, I am uh, I'm happy to work as mayor. I understand. My community is a, just about 200,000 people. I actually think it's the sort of people-sized size, and that bigger than that is hard to relate to on the kind of community-level scale that we operate at here. Um, and uh, I have turned down many requests to run for what we call higher office. Um, I know what I can... One of my favorite lines in the movies is, a man's got to know his limitations, and I do not see myself as more than a mayor. Mm-hmm. All right, I have one last question. I just want to pick your brain a little bit because uh, you obviously are pretty well-versed in this. So I just want to know um, what you think about this question here about uh, the recent UN climate change report. So it states that if we don't drastically reduce the CO2 emissions now, that by 2040, the temperature will have risen by over 1.5 degrees Celsius above pre-industrial levels, right? And the sea level, of course, will rise accordingly. So the question is, are we facing an irreversible ecological disaster, you think? I mean, you're saying you're, a, you're you know, an optimist, um, but... Will coastlines just be flooded? Uh, will there be die-offs of coral reefs? Will there be droughts, food shortages? I mean, what's what's going to happen? On on your list of things that you're asking, will there be them? 
which of those have we not already seen? Good point. So, I remain an optimist. I, I, when I went to university you, for undergraduate, you were required to have a science. You had to do two semesters of a science. And the science I chose was geology. And so I know that the Earth has been, um, through many um, climactic periods, and uh, I mean, and you know, so I have a sense that the Earth is always changing, and I don't know about things being irreversible. I know that where I, where we are here in the greater Toronto area, I think there was once an ice sheet more than a mile thick over us. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, and before that, there was no ice sheet, and now there's no ice sheet. So, but so we're talking it, about man-made climate change here now. I understand, but what I'm saying is the Earth is really big, and 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 it is capable of wild swings. My father is a retired professional meteorologist, and his master's thesis was on the Little Ice Age in medieval times, uh, which has fascinated meteorologists forever because it's so hard to account for it because it's pre-industrial um, industrialization. And uh, and it had very uh, dramatic effects. Mm-hmm. If you're familiar with the paintings of Bruegel, um, he's got, there's one painting, I, I have a copy of it that hangs in my office, where People are skating, and it looks like they're playing a game similar to hockey in one mm-hmm. uh, stretch on on uh, frozen ice that normally you don't see in that country anymore. So, um, all of which is to say that um, uh, climate change is clearly real. Um, it's clear to me that the greenhouse gases have an effect on raising the uh, temperature of the atmosphere. And um, it's clear to me that we need to shift to uh, a less thermal way of living, if uh, I can call it that. And, um, and I'm happy that we in my little town have been able to grasp the metal and make a start. And we will hope that future generations will keep that work going. Mm-hmm. Sounds like you're a good role model. So thank you, Rob Burton, very much for taking the time to speak to us. And um, good luck on Monday. And uh, hope to talk to you some other time on the show. Thank you very much. Uh, I encourage you and everyone to try optimism. It's a much better mood in which to face the world's problems than frustration or, or defeatism. All right, good. Thanks. I'll keep it in mind. Okay, bye-bye. All right, bye-bye. Let's quickly throw to the uh, to the music break here, and then we'll come right back for the last ten minutes. Wind the time. I will begin it soon. Make each page I turn a page a and welcome back to the Green Majority here on CAT 89.5 FM. Uh, we only have eight minutes left because that interview went a little bit long, and so we're going to skip the other bad news and instead... We had some decent news. We had some good news. Well, some good news next week. Yeah, so we've got, so we've got some good news next week. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, and we had the, had the victory there as well. Um, so I'm going to spend the last eight minutes 
Oh, uh, uh, A, apologizing to our audience who may have been somewhat frustrated during that last interview uh, and, I don't know, maybe correcting or at least offering my position on some of that stuff. Uh, I'm sure he's done good things for Oakville. He clearly has. And I think actually that's part of the part of the learning here um, specifically. Uh, which is that there is certainly a, a, a level of environmentalists uh, or people who have gone out and done a certain number of things mm-hmm. um, who, who think that, uh, that the generation between 1950 and 2000 uh, made the world a better place. Um, <laughs> uh, and who think that optimism at a time right now is okay and will default to the argument that global warming uh, is, has always been happening. Well... Um, pessimism of the intellect, optimism of the will, Stefan. You cannot act without uh, without believing in yourself. Well, sure, um, I'm not. I'm not here to argue that you cannot. You cannot believe that you can do this. I, I will argue that if anyone, that if the IPCC says that we are, uh, that we are, we are in, in Dave Granger, Dave Granger, grave mm. danger. Mm. The response cannot be <laughs> there was a ice sheet here thousands and thousands of years ago. Like, thank you for that wonderful piece of information uh, that is fundamentally not important to our children who are going to be living in a hellscape unless we do something. Mm. Um, it is... Uh, and, and honestly, I think there's, there's, there's a couple pieces here that to, to, to unpack. Um, a part of it has to do with this sort of... this concept that... that, uh, that it, it, it's a very old-school conservation-type concept. The idea that what matters is the very local green space, as if local green space is the solution to climate change or to these larger issues. And, and fundamentally, that may have felt true to people who grew up in a different generation. But the people who are currently studying the issue know for a fact that those are not how we get here. You know, there's a... There's a there's a direct correlation between the need for development uh, to deal with the fact to do with the serious harm, the serious, serious harm that, quote unquote, the better world that has been happening last 50 years has done and has created for many communities around this world who are now moving away from those communities because of specifically the actions taken here in Western Canada and in the, in the Western world. You know, mm-hmm. it is to uh, the idea that they want to come to Canada because it's. It's nicer here than over there. Yeah, d- it, while saying that they also, we made the world a better place and there's something better for you mm-hmm. to do. It wasn't our mining companies that destroyed your home. No, exactly. It was, you know, it's not the fact that I still get to drive everywhere I like through my trees. That is the reason why, you know, your your island, your Pacific Island nation is going to be underwater. Mm. Uh, and you have work to do. We gave you work <laughs> to do. That work to do apparently is not drowning in your, in your home. Um, there is... <sighs> Uh, as uh, you know, it is it is it is interesting and, and useful to note. I think that there are people out there doing good work. You know, I'm not I'm I'm not here to say that that there's a number of these initiatives that are not good. It's good to have a ch- climate change adaption plan. That's fantastic. Mm, certainly, the right uh, direction, the right mindset. Well, no, it's the right direction. Definitely not the right mindset. Right. <laughs> right? Like th- that's the thing. You know, like you can get these specific actions in place without it necessarily being you know coming from the right place. I think, and, and actually, and, and I think that sort of it comes from that concept that that this that this kind of global problem can be fo- can be solved on an incredibly local level. Also, the strange idea that the millennial generation, and in the face of climate change, is complaining because we we just are a little bit lazy. Well, 
well, and also that we don't want to address the problem. And also that we haven't tried optimism. Mm-hmm. Like, when if you were like that—that's sort of like saying if you're growing up before World War II and you were sort of scared of the war, just be optimistic. You know, the the grandpa- your grandparents started World War One, which led to World War Two, but you know they were they tried to make the world a better place, and 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 so you just there's a little more work to do. You got to go to war again, <laughs> and you just need to be optimistic about that. I don't know what you're not doing. Like, it's a fundamental disconnect. And I think this is honestly the reason why these lawsuits from youth keep coming through. Because even the people who sound like are on our side will still deliver a message that it is that youth are too angry and not able to respond in a way that to do these things. Mm-hmm. Just don't like work. Yeah. If Just I, don't like work. If I was, like, if I was, if I was in that high school class, here in, in my high school message was, hey, so, you know, the last 50 years, we've basically created the system of global capitalism that has cr- that that is that is infecting consumerism into every nature and, and now is leaving plastic strewn across the oceans everywhere. But just focus on your little thing and just believe in yourself is is such a, a message of. It's a message, A, of, uh, of, of failing to really appreciate how much work we've actually gotten done uh, or, and how global this pro- problem is. Um, However, it, efforts like the tool library would not exist without the idea that focusing on something direct and concrete and immediate oh, uh, would not have I, I'm certainly not trying to argue that you should not, you know, that, that there's not value in focusing on, on, on the local. I think mm. you can get much more impact on the local. And I think there's, you know, there's a criticism to be made to simply just say, let's have a host of people in a, um, you know, it, let, let, like you can't just keep having conferences about how things should be different globally. Mm. Like affecting local change is important. And like doing these things in your own small community and understanding that you can in fact change in, small, in your small community is important. I I think that as a as a as a message for for the world that that is the only way and that is the way forward when you're facing twelve years to recon, reconstruct the entire economy is can only be said by someone who will not have to worry about experiencing that. Uh, you know that is it is a, it is the privilege of 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 the of a generation that does not have to worry about twenty fifty. Uh, to be able to have the position that you just have to care about what's really, really local, and and I and and that is that is a sincere problem. Um, and so this has been a somewhat odd show. Uh, we will come back next week with some good news, some good news, and some very strange and disturbing news. Next oh, week. excellent! <laughs> uh, look forward to that, everyone. Have a wonderful week. Uh, this has been the Green Majority in C A T C I U T A nine point five, and take care.